0: Your daily source for in-depth business and investing news. We are Business 1440, KYCR, Golden Valley, a service of Salem Media Group. With SRN News, I'm Bob Agnew in Washington. President Trump on the campaign trail yesterday in the Midwest, along with Joe Biden, both tried to vie for those states that the president surprisingly picked up a lot of back in 2016. Meanwhile, as Greg Kluxton reports, both well, they're headed back out on the campaign trail today with just three days to go now before the election. For the second time this week, the president will hold three Pennsylvania rallies in one day. In 2016, Mr. Trump won the Keystone State, and he's working overtime to keep it in the win column this year. Meanwhile, Biden will team up with former President Obama for two campaign events in Michigan, one in Flint, one in Detroit. Yesterday, both candidates crisscrossed the Midwest, where they held competing rallies in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Greg Clugston, Washington. A down day to end the week on Wall Street Friday. The Dow lost 157 points. This is SRN News.
2: High school sports are as American as apple pie. And going to a game or meet is a chance to see the stars of tomorrow shine today. But as anybody who's ever attended a high school sporting event in Minnesota knows, you can't have the stars without the stripes. High schools are currently looking for new officials in almost every sport. Who looks good in stripes? Anybody looking for a way to stay connected to a sport they love. If you like the idea of giving back to your community while earning a few extra bucks, chances are you'd look good in stripes too. We want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. No officials means no games. No stripes means no stars. And what kind of America would that be? Minnesota needs more high school officials. Go to highschoolofficials.com to sign up or learn more. That's highschoolofficials.com.
3: This is a national health care alert from the 24-7 Diabetic Health Hotline. If you, a family member or a loved one has diabetes, listen closely. Now, regardless of your age, if you have insurance, you may qualify to receive diabetic testing supplies with little to no out-of-pocket cost. Get free delivery, free information, and all the paperwork is handled by our accredited suppliers for free. Call the 24-7 Diabetic Health Hotline now for details. Toll-free at this number. But wait, there's more. If you call right now, you could get a meter upgrade. In addition, we'll give you a free pair of diabetic socks as our special gift to you regardless of your age if you suffer with diabetes and have insurance you may qualify to get free delivery of your supplies 800-439-7409
2: 800-439-7409 800-439-7409 that's 800-439-7409
4: The Wall Street Business Network is on the air. It's the King Banyan Show. As an educator and former legislator, Professor Banyan steps out of the classroom and onto the airwaves to break down the local and national economic news that matters to you. Just say what you got, man. It's the King Banyan Show on Business 1440. Now, here's King Banyan.
5: Welcome back King Banyan Show. This is 1440. Thank you for listening today. As I noted during the previous hour of the show, we all go to the... I don't know if we all go to the polls on Tuesday. Many of us have voted early. but But many of us will vote on Tuesday. And you've spent a lot of time thinking about the people at the top of the ticket. But the question is, have you spent much time thinking about what's happening in the bottom of the ticket, where you have... We have races like for who sits on your courts and who sits on the school board. That's why, why in my mind, I thought it was a really good time to have our next guest here on the show. His name is Brandon Wright. He is the editorial director of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, which studies education. I'm familiar with the work of the Fordham Institute. He has a new book that he has co-edited with Frederick Hess, of uh of the american enterprise institute titled getting the most bang for the education buck okay well first of all welcome brandon to the show how are you today
6: oh, good good thanks uh how
5: are you i'm well thank you i'm glad you could join us today um and and uh, you know i i remind people you know i want to put this in context and and your book does a nice job of this um in the United States right now, we spend something on the order of about $14,000 for every student that we have. That feels like a lot of money. Are we are, are are we spending it? Are we spending that much? How does that rank compared to other countries, and how well do we spend that money?
6: Yeah, so we are spending about that much, and uh, it ranks among the most in the uh, developed world, which I guess means it's among the most in the world. Um, and the whole basis for our book, uh, is that we aren't actually getting very much out of that. Um, we aren't getting as much bang for our book as we should. And that's because when we think about the way that, that, that conversations go, um, about school budgeting, these conversations tend to be dominated by calls for more or cries that they don't have enough. And of course there are districts in the country um that you know are underfunded but an equally important question that is generally ignored is what are districts doing with each dollar that they have be it dollars they have now or additional funding they get in the future um, so that's the basis of the book uh trying to push on um, people in charge to think more about that and to uh, answer that question more effectively for our kids
5: so so, uh, Brandon Wright, one of the things that your 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 book I think is doing, which I, w- doesn't do, which I think is, uh, I, I don't believe it does, uh, is is this isn't about you know the get rid of public schools thing. We should make them all private. You know, it's uh, they're government schools, and you're not saying that at all. What you're saying is is look, we can make some changes and get more out of what we're doing without having to spend more. We can get better results with what we have already. Does that include even the uh, the, 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 nature, the nature of our school systems in terms of being largely uh, something that we vote on and we have public schools and we have school boards and teachers who are hired publicly?
6: I mean, I think we can do this everywhere, and I think that we can actually put pressure on our school systems to think more about this question. Um, it definitely applies to all schools and you bring up a good point, right? With, with the, um, with how we essentially put in, put in charge, uh, the people who run our schools, be it through elections with the school board or, um, other means. And that's why this question is relevant to everybody, not just people who have kids. Um, everybody's tax dollars is actually going towards this. And I feel like as taxpayers, we have a right and to an extent a responsibility to ensure that um, our tax dollars are being spent uh, wisely and effectively and in ways that we as taxpayers uh, would prefer. Right.
5: So I, so, so let's, let's work with that a second, Brandon. I, I'm a guy in his sixties. I don't have, my children are grown and gone. I have a grandchild who's in, who's in a public school. Uh, and, and so as I think about this and I think about what I think about schools, um, let's set aside my grandchild for the second for a second because they don't live here in my community. How do I talk about this when when I see that you know k-12 and health care are the two largest components of my of the of my state's budget and plus roads is the biggest parts of my local budget So
6: that's, yeah that's I, how I, my I mean... age get at that. Yeah, I, I, when it comes to education, which right is, is sort of um, you know, where my expertise is, uh, I think it's somewhat justified that at least a big chunk of state budgets go to education. And that's because, in my opinion, it's the same reason why this is important to everyone. Mm-hmm. What our schools are doing, they aren't just teaching kids to read and write. They are teaching kids to eventually the contributing effective um people in their communities who are contributing um to the workforce, to the creation of families, to the creation ultimately combined, uh, the creation of principles on which communities are found and ran. Um, so we should we should invest in our kids in these schools. We should invest in our schools. Um, so the amount of money that's going towards them, I don't think is too much. In fact, I think in, in some places it's too little. The bigger question and the bigger push is how can the schools do better with the money that they have? And again, that's, that's the, that's the topic of our book, but it's important to, to everyone of all ages.
5: So let's get down to a little bit of the nitty gritty of, of of the kinds of things that you think about. So, so, I work on I work as an a, a university administrator uh, at a larger state university we're making huge investments in technology to be able to do our work to deliver our course our courses in online classes hybrid formats things that we traditionally did, hadn't done The classroom that i'm used to teaching in because uh, I was a university professor for thirty years before going into administration. That classroom doesn't look like it did it did even ten years ago how are how are schools investing in technology and 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 how, and how are they using them in ways that actually are making our education better?
6: So we actually have a chapter in the book that's entirely about sort of school districts' use of technology and some places are doing it well, um, but a lot of places aren't or at least they could be doing it better um, as you know of course sort of tech has uh, gotten inside of basically every, every classroom, um, it's a large part of sort of different aspects of uh, curricula and instruction. Um, the problem, sometimes though, that we find in terms of uh, districts spending uh, their money on this ineffectively, is there's this kind of push to invest in the sort of newest and brightest piece of hardware or or software. And then thinking uh, that because you have purchased this great piece of software that it's going to make a big difference. And that's sort of where you uh, leave the purchase. What we find is that basically any education policy, so tech obviously um, included here, is it could be the best policy in the whole world, but if you don't invest in its implementation and its buy-in um, and you don't... Uh, sort of ensure that over time that buy-in and uh, that implementation continues to be done at a high level, that policy or that piece of technology is going to fail. Uh, So districts need to, when they purchase technology or or with the technology that they actually have, they have to make sure that the teachers who are Um, implementing it into their classroom know how to actually use that technology. They have to ensure that the teachers are okay with doing so, Um, and they have to ensure that uh, the kids and their families know how to use that as well, especially um, our more disadvantaged kids who are less um, likely to even have things like internet connections at home, to have their own um, devices that they're sort of already familiar with. So, Districts aren't doing a very good job at that, um, and that's the basis of that chapter in, in in our book.
5: Yeah, I think that's that's fabulous, Brandon, uh, to talk about that because one of the things I one of the things I've noticed is in our experience. So I, I'm in a community that's got about uh, ninety to a hundred thousand people living within the seven mile radius of my campus, but we educate a lot of people that are out in out out in rural parts of Greater Minnesota, and. You know, we we've, we've got all these wonderful lectures that we've taken all this time to build onto Zoom and and using using you know course course management software like D2L or Blackboard and and then we don't spend any time thinking about the fact that that we've got two kinds of students we've got students who who come from from low socioeconomic status and they have to play this on a phone that maybe doesn't render what you're trying to do right, and then in the other hand, I've got a kid out in rural Minnesota who doesn't have the broadband access to do that. How do school districts deal with issues like that?
6: I think it's a very difficult thing to try to cope with, um, but I do think one of the positives of this, you know, terrible pandemic is that school districts are being forced to learn how to use technology better and to ensure that everybody in the school has a way to benefit from that technology. So you have um, some areas across the country where uh, districts are, you know, essentially paying um, to make sure that all kids have access to broadband, that, that um, all kids have the device that they need to, to have the instruction, uh, the remote um, instruction that they need during this time. So, Hopefully, sort of those investments and those efforts will carry over to when this is, you know, finally, thankfully, uh, over, and we're, you know, back to some sort of, you know, uh, countrywide in-person instruction. Um, but it's still just incredibly difficult to do, and obviously, it shouldn't always be the responsibility of school districts. To an extent, you know, I feel like we may get to the point in this country, if we're not already there, that something like the internet should sort of be like a universally available thing. Think about how much of a disadvantage you would be if you didn't have internet, uh, how, how, how just intertwined it is with our entire lives. So to an extent, you know, perhaps that's uh, the responsibility of, you know, the people in charge of a state or DC. Uh, but,
5: that's not, you know, up to me. Yeah, well, it's a good point, and and to the extent that school districts have to deal with it, then it becomes a tension for them because those costs are significant, and they uh, and they take away the money that could have been spent instead on uh, personnel, which um, obviously when you're negotiating and collective bargaining is is attention for any school district. And that's one of the issues we'll get back to here. We're visiting, we're, we're, let's take a break here. We're visiting with Brandon Wright of the Fordham Institute, talking about their book, his book with Frederick Hess, Getting the Most Bang for the Education Buck. We'll be back after this. You're listening to the King Banyan Show on Business 1440.
0: over zany sound effect we were gonna write something flashy about streaming us at radio.com but considering how easy it is to do we'll keep it simple too listen to business 1440 at radio.com
1: The spread of COVID-19 is still unchecked across the nation, and you need to keep your family safe. Make a new habit and check your temperatures twice a day, once before dinner and before leaving home in the morning. You can't afford to take chances, so use the Exogen Temporal Scanner. Its accuracy is backed by more than 80 clinical studies, and it takes an accurate reading in seconds. It's the only home thermometer used and recommended by hospitals, doctors, and nurses. Quick and easy to use, you can count on Exogen to keep your family safe 24 hours a day.
8: please call 1-800-366-7773, 1-800-366-7773, or visit our website at prolifeacrossamerica.org. Pro Life Across America is non-political and totally educational. A baby's
3: heart is beating 18 days from conception. Pro Across America, the
9: billboard
1: people. We're here with another satisfied JTR Roofing customer.
7: What did your home need? We needed an exteriors update. We needed roofing, siding, um, entry doors, and our storm doors replaced.
3: Why did you choose JTR Roofing?
7: After meeting with their sales team and looking at the products that they were offering as well as the warranty, it was an easy choice to choose JTR.
3: What did you think of the work JTR did?
7: The job was completed in a timely manner. The crews were very professional and the workmanship was outstanding we didn't have any surprises along the way or on our final bill. JTR was very knowledgeable and made it very comfortable from start to finish. Our house looks great. We received multiple compliments from friends and family. I was 100% satisfied with the work from JTR.
8: Go to JTRRoofingInc.com to set up your no obligation consultation. That's JTRRoofingInc.com.
0: There's a ton to explore at twin Cities Like the biggest savings around at our Half Off Deals tab. Click on programs to see our daily lineup. Win prizes at the VIP Fan Club. Catch up on your favorite podcasts and more.
5: Welcome back. King Banyan Show. This is 1440. I feel like I want to run on a football field. <laughs> ah. Or is it a basketball court? I don't know. One or the other. 651-289-4477. We're visiting this uh, this segment with uh, Brandon Wright from the Fordham, Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Uh, he is the co-editor. Of and probably author of a of a, of one of the one or two or more of the chapters in getting the most bang for the education buck, uh, which is which is basically saying, let's figure out how to take the money we're spending on education, which is a lot, and spend it better, uh, and and seems absolutely wise. I noticed that uh, one of my commenters, uh, Brandon, during the uh, break. Um, just tweeted at me the words communist broadband um i don't know that he's joking or not but <laughs> but but uh, but um but um I, I i mean to me it's like it's like well would, 70 years ago would we've gone back and said uh communist telephone lines because that's that that's kind of like what what we are describing here is 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 thinking right. about them more like a utility than than thinking of them like a i don't think cell phones are are a utility but i think the towers are right right and i think yeah I think, so i don't
6: yeah i don't see it as different from electricity or water or telephone lines um
5: yeah
6: personally but yeah but i yeah i, I, I get it i'm with you funny. yeah,
5: yeah. It, it, i'm humored by it and i think he was trying i think he was in part trying to be funny and i i i, I accepted on that basis um you know i live here in uh in an area which has recently and has had a two or three episodes i mean if if I go back to the early uh, 20th century, of a large number of uh, of people moving into a region who speak a different language than English. And so you have to – and so school districts that receive a large number of those children have to cope with those those types of folks. Now, I know you've got – I believe you've got a chapter in, on special education here in, in making them. Make getting the most bang for the education buck, but have you spoken at all about uh about e s l uh, English as a second language, and how we can get more for that because I got to tell you at least in terms of the school district I live in, that's a significant
6: issue yeah so personally, I have never done much with uh yellow kids um in terms of yellow uh, policy, and the special education chapter is sort of more about um mainstreaming as many kids as possible and sort of changing the way we staff special education in terms of the sort of uh aids and helpers that we have in a way that will you know sort of cost less but actually produces um more sort of uh, academic and social gains for these kids um so uh, i agree that um ELL kids uh, and ELL programs can be very expensive and that we're um, surely going to get sort of more of those as time goes on, especially, you know, for different regions of of, of the country. Um, and to be just frank, I'm OK when I, I don't know something and I really don't know the best way to to deal with that cost, I'll be honest with you.
5: Yeah, and I, I I think there are a lot of districts that are struggling. It's not just ours here in 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 Saint Cloud, but um, we have a large number of uh, English language learners in uh, a school district down the down the road in even more rural Wilmer, uh, Minnesota, and 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 I know that they that they have to spend a lot of time thinking about this issue too, and it. it I think it's an interesting question and I, I didn't mean to catch you with a question that, that you no, wouldn't no, know the no, answer sorry. to, but I just, yeah. I, it's just, it just happens to be, that's a, that's an interesting topic uh, for us here. One of the things that, that I do uh, like about getting the most bang for the education buck is that you're trying to get at the spending decisions in the way that we talked about in the last hour here on the King Banyan show on business 1440. Cause we, I had a, I had a caller, who said in their first year economics course, they had learned marginal benefit, marginal cost. And they thought they're like, he's like, can you explain why you do that so much? And it's like because it's like one of the most fundamental parts of economics. Uh, And and it's in it's kind of I think I would say it's in your it's in your volume as well. Um, Thinking about things in terms of the would you rather question rather rather than. Than, than more more and more And actually thinking this through. Explain how people in a school district might make those types of decisions in the way that you're describing them.
6: Yeah, so the Would You Rather test uh, comes from um, a very, very brilliant uh, academic from Georgetown, um, Marguerite Rosa, and her idea isn't, Per se, to 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 have this be a way that policies made, but as sort of a way to inform the thinking and decision making of people um, who are you know in, in in charge of putting policies forth. So the would you rather test would essentially be like so, say that a district has you know ten thousand dollars extra to devote to you know teachers. Um, just a very very uh, simple uh, hypothetical. Let's say it's a hundred thousand dollars and so they asked the teachers right would you rather have you know lump sum payments that you can you know put towards your retirement in any way you choose or would you you know prefer that we just you know put this into your 401k in the way that we choose Um, so the value of something like this I talked uh, earlier when we're talking about tech uh, sort of buy-in how important buy-in can actually be so if you sort of find out what the preferences are of teachers or parents or principals, or even kids, um, uh, before you make a policy, then you can sort of see uh, where the values of these stakeholders lie. And that can, I think, help you make the difficult choices because like you sort of imply with um, marginal costs and stuff, uh, the money is finite right like it'd be great or if if we lived in some perfect world right where every school could get as much cash as it possibly uh asked for um and all other programs in all other government uh, areas could too and all people could right it'd be fantastic but we live in a world where governments only have so much cash and a question always has to be posed this money that, that, that school districts are asking for, would it be better spent on healthcare or public safety or reducing taxes? Right? Like these are very, very important questions. And because we have to ask them, um, the better that we can uh, inform the difficult choices that people making school budgetary policies have to make, the better off those policies will end up being.
5: Great. Great. You remind, you remind me of the conversations that we had when uh, we were voting on uh, the Viking uh, Minnesota Viking football stadium. I was in the legislature at the time, and I kept trying to say, "Would you rather have a stadium than this, or would you rather have a stadium than that?" I, d- I don't, I'm not familiar with the uh, the work of that Georgetown uh, uh, faculty member. I will have to look it up. But uh, it, you know, as a as a person who is a pretty big believer believer in priority-based budgeting. Uh, this strikes me as being just in just in that that area. Hey, Brandon, I only have a couple minutes with you left. So I want to make sure mm-hmm. that I ask you this this particular question. Tuesday, like, yeah. I said at the top of the show, no. right? That at the top of the show, we said you you got you might have a school board election down below. Suppose you've heard this half hour and thought to yourself, yeah, this is what I would like my school board person to, to be interested in. What would you be looking for? What kind, of, what kind of qualities? I'm not asking you to pick a particular candidate, obviously, uh, because you can't know what's going on in, in all the different school districts here in Minnesota. But what kinds of qualities would you be looking for for someone that would be receptive to the ideas in getting the most bang for the education buck?
6: Uh, I think an accountant um, or somebody in sort of personal finance or somebody who has, you know, run a business, uh, run a business by themselves. Somebody who sort of has a very, very firm grasp on uh, things like budgets and the value of of a dollar when it comes to, you know, paying for things that organizations uh, have to pay for. But sort of beyond the professional side, really just a willingness to to ask these questions. I talked at the beginning about how, how school budgetary uh, conversations are dominated by we don't have enough. Why don't we have more? We need more. Give us more. Um, and again, sometimes that is a justified point. But very rarely uh, do these conversations include what this book is about making sure that we spend each dollar well and i brought this conversation up with with a few sort of teacher union friends um of mine and they 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 frankly i am you know great friends with these 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 people um but they don't really have any time for this question they're like well i don't i I don't really care because what's more important is that we don't have enough and i think that's a mistake to not be able to 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 deal with both questions so if somebody's running for your school board just a willingness to ask this question to talk about this point to push this point um when we're talking about uh school budgets would frankly be a little unusual and a very good sign great
5: that's a that's great advice Uh, i hope people will take it with them as they think about that that down that down ballot race uh, Brandon Wright uh, from the Thomas B. Fordham Institute at uh, fordhaminstitute.org. I want to thank you so much. We'll put in, uh, we'll put up on Twitter a link to uh, to your website and a link to a link to uh, the work of this uh, volume that you've put out. Thank you so much for spending time with us today.
6: I appreciate it. Thanks a lot.
5: Okay, you bet. And we'll be back after this. You're listening to the King Banyan Show on Business 1440.
1: Connecting you with new customers. Arby's
5: computer Service.
10: You and your business are online today more than ever. Most people are working from home and meeting via Internet, and that means IT structures are overtaxed and Wi-Fi is humming. An outage in one of your critical systems now could be a fatal blow to your operation. RB's Computer Service is ready and able to help. Their staff is standing by and prepared to offer assistance. If your business IT system experiences a failure, give Arby's a call. Their professional team of certified computer and networking specialists is experienced in diagnosing and solving a wide range of issues. With RB's Computer Service on the job, you'll never have to worry about dealing with IT-related issues on your own. Whether it's for your personal system or business, RB's Computer Service knows that Internet traffic is surging and they're available now to help. You'll always get competitive pricing, trustworthy advice, and excellent customer service from Randy and his team at RB's Computer Service. Giving your
3: computer problems
0: the boots, RB's Computer Service.
4: Hi, PJ here from PJ's Appliance Outlet. Are you in need of a new washer and dryer, a new stove, dishwasher, or refrigerator? Do you prefer top brands like LG, Frigidaire, Whirlpool? Are you dragging your feet due to the cost and feeling like more often than not, you'd be overpaying for these appliances? Well, here at PJ's, we've solved that problem for you. Our clients, many of whom are listeners to this station as well, have already saved hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars by shopping at PJ's Appliance Outlet. Our everyday standard pricing is 40 to 70% less than the average appliance store. We're not talking the inflated MSRP pricing. We're talking real everyday pricing. So before you purchase an appliance, it's well worth a quick visit to our store to see what we have in stock and how much money we can save you. At PJ's, we proudly offer basic and extended warranty options along with professional appliance delivery and removal services. Go to PJ'sApplianceOutlet.com. That's PJ'sApplianceOutlet.com, where every deal is a steal.
0: Now back to the King Banyan Show on Business 1440.
5: You always have to wait for the guitar part because it's one of the few times that the that in high school the band would have someone playing guitar. It was kind of rare. Anyway, King Banyan Show Business fourteen forty. Um, God bless and keep uh, uh, Sean Connery, dead at the age of ninety. Um. And uh, of course, most people will remember him for his uh, work as uh, as James Bond. Um, thank you to Brandon Wright uh, from the Thomas B. Fordham Institute for uh, visiting with us, talking about getting the bang- getting the most bang for your education buck. The link to that has been posted now on Twitter at, using the hashtag #PoundKBRS KBRS. It's easier just to search for that hashtag rather than trying to remember my last name, Banyan Show, because it spells funny. Every other last letter in my last name is an A. If you can do that, you'll probably get it right. Um, so uh, 651-289-4477, the number to call with your questions and comments and concerns about the show today. Uh, I want to go back and talk about, uh, do a little bit more of the economic news Uh, uh, but uh, just a quick uh, coda to that particular uh, interview. My mom called me earlier this year um, and my phone was off at the moment. So the message reads, did I ever tell you about your grandfather being in politics? Call me. Well, okay. Of course I've been in politics. So it's like I'm interested. So I pick up the phone and I'll call my mom for just about any reason whatsoever. So I, hey mom. Tell me about that. My grandfather ran for school board in nineteen thirty six in the depths of the great yeah thirty six in the depths of the great Depression, he ran for the school board, and he ran for the school board because the school had just had just the, the voters had just agreed to a bond. In a bond referendum to build themselves a new school, and this is in a rural part of New Hampshire, right on the new Hampshire main border uh and he and so he gets on the school board because he wants to say what's going to happen in the school, and you want to talk about the either or here's the either or question that follows along Brandon Wright's. I was going to mention this, but uh one a couple of his answers went a little longer, and he like nah we'll just we'll just wait till afterwards. He doesn't need to respond to this. My grandfather was a performer. He, was in, he uh, actually helped write, uh, write all the advanced pages and uh, worked in a circus for many years. And he also had a magic show. So his goal in getting on the school board was to answer the either-or question. Would the school have a stage, a theatrical stage, or would it have uh, a basketball court or a, a baseball field or something like that. He ran so that it would be a stage instead. And that school had a really beautiful, I've seen pictures of it. It's a beautiful stage. Okay, after I talked to mom, it's like, okay, I got to dig up, see what's there. was there. And... Found an old newspaper from the 1930s from Dover, New Hampshire, and looked over it. Looked over at the new school that they had built over in, over in Salmon Falls, and Salmon Falls School had a gorgeous stadium, and no place for sports. That was his either or. Anyway, six five one two eight nine four four seven seven. Um, <laughs> my mom was the first was was the first class that went entirely through that new school. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about 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 what we're observing right now, and I'm going to start with Ed Yardini. Uh, Ed Yardini is a uh, is the guy who uh, was most popularized for being the person who said when Y2K happened on January 1st, 2000, because of Y2K. How many of you remember that? Right? Y2K being that because our computers were all geared toward having having the year date represented by a two-digit number rather than a four digit number that um all the computers would stop working because they would reset from twelve thirty one ninety nine to oh one oh one oh oh. Um and I know I've got some engineers that listen to this show and they're probably laughing right now. I oh, turned out not to be right. Well it it didn't. But Ed Ed made Ed made a name for himself during that time and he's still working. Um out there and and he said and he's sort of with me um that believes that the the market is going to go forward and that the economy's probably probably shaping up to do fairly well I, again the 33.1 isn't the number to worry about now the number's 15 that's the that's the that's what we need in a quarter or two quarters in two quarters then we would need of course like growth rates in the high seven high sevens to eights for two quarters in a row, that would get us back to where we were by the end of the first quarter. That could work, too. Yardini sounds like he's uh, he's pretty pretty positive about that. Let's play that first clip, uh, Wyatt. Uh,
11: I think the important thing is uh, one of the uh, unknowns and uncertainties that have been hanging over the market is the election. And we're going to know, I, I hope we'll, we'll know by uh, November 3rd in the evening. And if not that, maybe a few days after that. Uh, but that's that's been definitely uh, giving the, uh, the market some jitters here.
5: And, yes, the market's getting some jitters because we continue to see. Here's, here's the way, and I, this is all I will say about the election. You have to think in terms of both first and second moments of a distribution. So when I do a poll, I tell you what the result is, and then I tell you a margin of error. The bigger the margin of the error is, the more the spread around that that distribution the way people talk about this election versus the way the statistics are done would suggest that they have greater uncertainty that there's a greater margin of error in the way they subjectively think about the polls than the way the polls are being reported in terms of their statistical margin of error because the statistics only depend on peop- on an assumption of whether or not people are telling you the truth when they answer the phone, and there are a lot of people who believe that they're not. Okay, so that's, that, you, you can believe that, but the market is certainly having that. But it's not just that. It's not just that. It's also the fact that we don't know what's happening with a stimulus bill, and we don't know what's happening with coronavirus. Indeed, Yardeni goes on to say to say this. Let's play the second cut.
11: Well, it's definitely been V-shaped uh, from the bottom in April through all the data that we have. All the major economic indicators through October has been V-shaped. We had a, you know, over a 30 inc- percent rebound in the uh, real GDP in the third quarter. Uh, I think it's definitely going to slow down here. And it may be more of a Nike swoosh than it might be a continuation of the V. But I don't see um, a double dip. I don't see a W. Uh, I think the economy will continue to uh, do remarkably well in the face of all these challenges, as long as we don't lock everything down again. And I don't think we will.
5: And that has to be part of your forecast. Are things going to get, is everything going to get locked down again? If you believe that, you kind of have to say that a W is, is certainly possible or a swoosh. And indeed, the Europeans are worried about this. Uh, at a press conference on Thursday, Christine Lagarde, the uh, head of the European Central Bank, said that the, economy, that the economy in Europe was losing momentum even faster than the ECB had imagined. She says this. Play that cut, please.
9: The rise in COVID-19 cases and the associated intensification of containment measures is weighing on activity, constituting a clear deterioration in the near-term outlook. In fact, while activity in the manufacturing sector has continued to recover... Activity in the services sector has been slowing visibly.
5: Now, remember, if the services sector continues to to degrade, if the services sector continues to degrade, and we haven't had the recovery in services like we've had in goods, goods sector, again, is mostly back, but the services sector is not, that services sector depends on our willingness to go to go outside. Let me get let me get one more cut in here. This is a little bit longer than those, uh, and this is Constance Hunter. She is the chief economist for KPMG, and she was on Bloomberg here, uh, Bloomberg Radio here uh, on Business fourteen forty just yesterday, and she and she believes that that goods recovery that that increase in housing, that increase in in vehicles, that increase in RVs, all that stuff that you have been buying stuff that might not be able to continue for much longer. Go ahead and play her, please.
12: Well, so first of all, normally in a recession, we don't see services consumption fall that much. And the reason is because people still go to the dentist and they still get their hair cut, even during a recession, right? So um, that fell dramatically. Um, services as a percent of GDP, in part because of lockdowns and in part because of reduced capacity. Um, nobody bought World Series tickets, for example. So um, there was a lot of services consumption that just didn't occur. And then when we compound this with um, people spending more time at home, people are buying goods, right? They're they're buying fire pits. They're buying, you know, outdoor, uh, you know, like lawn furniture, and they're buying uh, Pelotons and things like that, right? And, and there's only so many Pelotons you're going to buy, right? So that goods consumption, while it rose dramatically and it's up, 5.5% Q over Q, um, it is not going to continue at that pace.
5: So that is, the, that is a very sobering thought, and I think it's real. I don't think you can, I, there's money out there. As I said, I said in the last hour, our savings rate is still over 14%. That's not normal. There's money there's money laying in wait for an opportunity to be spent. What's it going to be spent on? I doubt it's going to be spent on more goods uh, uh, Ms Hunter is correct i I don't own any pelotons uh, but I'm certainly working on building up my home gym because I'm not going to the gym anymore i'm I'm working I'm doing that work from home because I think that's safer and i think that's something i will do it's going to be a pretty long time before i go to a gym again it's going to be a pretty long time before i go watch live theater even here in in my little my little neck of the woods up here in central minnesota i'm not going to be the first person through the door when that when it comes time for that the money's there but i think it depends in no small part on on the virus, and that's why hearing Lagarde say, "Hmm, you know, we're see, you know, the service sector is not catching up. In fact, it's going backwards in that country." And we saw report, you know, we saw the reports this week that bars and restaurants are getting closed up in France and in Germany. Spain is, is probably next, um, and we'll we'll see the rest of Europe do that. And you have to ask yourself, how long before that's the United States? We'll be back after this. You're listening to The King Banyan Show on Business 1440.
13: like snakes and spiders in my hair. This is this is Halloween, 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 Halloween. Business
3: 1440 is KYCR Golden Valley. Instant cash and huge savings. Plus, there are no realtor fees, no listing fees, and no repair costs. Just cash in your hands for that painful property. They're buying a few more houses in your neighborhood this month. So take advantage of this cash offer and call Quick Cash Offer now. 800
2: 775 4514. 800 775 4514. That's 800 775 4514.
7: I'm on my third child and also on my third vehicle at Invergrove Hyundai. I'm Christelle from Mendota Heights. I did my research on high rated vehicle, good value, and that brought me right to Hyundai. So now I'm on my third and also my third child, uh, which brought up the need to upgrade the vehicle again. So now I'm in a Santa Fe and Hyundai brings a lot of features to the table for not a lot of money. And considering I'm taking my kids in the vehicle, it's also a really highly rated vehicle as far as safety. So Invergrove Honey was able to work out just a great deal, the staff and the salespeople really did uh, close the deal for me because everyone has been just a joy to deal with.
3: Through November 2nd, get 0% financing for up to 72 months plus no payments for 90 days on 2021 Tucson's and 2020 Santa Fe's. Every new Hyundai comes with America's best warranty, 10-year, 100,000-mile limited powertrain, and Hyundai Assurance. Online at InvergroveHyundai.com.
5: Think you can't afford life insurance? Think again. You might be surprised at how affordable it can be. 80% of Americans overestimate the cost of life insurance. Maybe it's time to swap a few small expenses for some big peace of mind. Life insurance can protect what matters most, and it's the right
4: thing to do. Let's talk today.
10: For details, contact Pamela McCarthy, agent at the Pam McCarthy Agency, Inc. Call 651-460-3333.
4: American Family Life
0: Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin, 53783 daily headlines investing guidance and insightful financial discussion are just a tap away with our free mobile app simply search for business 1440 in the app store and in seconds you'll be connected with the brightest minds in business and investing limitless access to business and investment strategy listen to business 1440 with our free app your smart speaker or with iHeart tune in, and radio.com we live in the twin cities and invest worldwide
5: Welcome back King Bangy Show Business 14:40 Happy Halloween Happy end of daylight savings time
0: Ooh.
5: So a few more a, a few more thoughts last last one about the um, about about the state of the economy I in my I'm already beginning to work on my 2021 forecast, as you might be able to tell with some of my comments today. I'm already looking past the election. I don't think the election matters that much, and I'll explain very briefly why. You'll think this is an oversimplification, but I have but I have to come at this in a in in, in sort of an objective way. The way the way I think about this is this: if what happened in the first in the first Trump administration was the passage of a tax bill that I think had opportunities to have done some good work except that I think the trade policies of the Trump administration undid much of the good work that the tax that the that the tax act did. Okay? I think I think it got in the way. I think it I think it ended up muting the impact of the 17 uh, of the 2017 tax cuts. Should Vice President Biden win the election? I expect that those trade policies will change, but on the other hand, I also expect the tax cuts to be largely rolled back at minimum and perhaps perhaps put up higher than they were in 2017. I don't know. Possible. It depends on the composition of the Senate. But I expect those things to work in the opposite direction. I expect then that will go with that uh, uh, Biden administration is likely to have the same mix of oppor- the same mix of outcomes that you would have received um, had, um, had uh, Hillary Clinton won in 2016 or had there been a third Obama administration. Like that's, that, that's where my head's at. You'll get, you'll get better results on trade. You'll get r- worse results on fiscal. Um, and I, I don't expect to see any change if uh, if if President Trump should be reelected. So I've done the forecast on that basis. The virus will solve itself at some point through through human human ingenuity. We will come up with a, with, with a vaccine. Our treatments are already getting better, and and I believe that uh, we're, we're able to get people through hospitals faster. So I actually look at higher hospitalization rates and say I'm not positive that that isn't just the fact that we know if we get you to the hospital we can get you cured and back on your feet faster so maybe we are putting more people in than we did before um, but then there's also this and this is mohammed alarian um i don't remember wh- where this particular cut came from i'm going to look here well, this is from fox business um on uh, on uh friday this is this is uh, this friday, okay friday evening uh, this is Mohamed el Arian talking about the fact that the Fed might be the thing you need to spend more time thinking about.
11: Well, they need to do something because the marketplace has been conditioned that the minute it sells off, the Fed comes in and increasing liquidity. We already saw the ECB, the European Central Bank this week. They reacted by saying, we are going to do more and nothing is off the table. They talked about recalibrating. That's the word that... Um, our friend, the president of the ECB, Madame Lagarde, used recalibrating. So U.S. investors would expect the Fed to say something, but the Fed is in a really difficult position. So if the Fed doesn't say something comforting, then this market will take another leg down.
5: And that's what I think will happen this week. Don't think that the election is the reason why the market goes down, regardless of the outcome. I don't think it's that. And I actually don't think it's the virus. I think the virus is properly priced into the market. I think what the Fed is doing, entering uncharted waters, having uh, Madame Lagarde uh, kind of lose her, lose her stuff in, uh, in, in that press conference, because she did sound a little bit panicked. I think I've got time enough. Play that clip one more time from Christine Lagarde, please.
9: The rise in COVID-19 cases. And the associated intensification of containment measures is weighing on activity, constituting a clear deterioration in the near-term outlook. In fact, while activity in the manufacturing sector has continued to recover, activity in the services sector has been slowing visibly.
5: They're, They're calling, and they've said, we're coming back next month and we're going to have something. The press conference from, uh, from, uh, from Jay Powell is going to be the thing to watch this week. Yeah, you're going to watch the elections. Of course you're going to watch the elections. But don't lose sight of that because the, this, is, this will tell us a fair amount about what 2021 will look like. And I would argue probably as much as who wins on Tuesday. By the way, please go vote. I keep reminding people I won by 10 votes. I have a colleague that won. By, I have a colleague from the House who's still in the House of Representatives in Minnesota, won by a single vote. Your vote matters. Go vote, Wyatt. Thank you so much uh, for your work today. Thank you to Brandon Wright from the Fordham Institute for for appearing here as well, and thank you for listening to the King Banyan Show on Business fourteen forty. <laughs>
13: Hi, this is Lee. And this is Matt from the Kingdom Builders. About 22 years
3: ago, I remember doing my father's roof in Bloomington after a huge hailstorm had gone through. And now he just had me come out and take a look at his roof because he wants to make sure it's okay, 22 years old now. Most roofs in that time era were good for about 20, 25, maybe 30 years. So if you're looking to get an honest assessment on whether your 22-year-old roof is still good, give us a call. Yeah, Lee, I remember that storm, too. And as I drive around Burnsville, uh, Bloomington, the south
5: metro, I see all of these roofs that were replaced back in 1998. And it may be time for an assessment for us to come out and let you know if you have a year or three left or if now is a good time to get those shingles replaced. For an honest assessment on your roof or gutters, give us a call at 612-900-9166 or look us
0: up on the web at thekingdombuilders.com. That's TheKingdomBuilders.com.
9: Pro-Life Across America, the Billboard People.
7: Did you know my mom's going to have a baby? She is. Will it be a boy? Or will it be a girl? We don't know yet, but we heard the heartbeat, and my dad said this is going to be someone very special. You mean like being a president? Or maybe a doctor.
8: I'm
9: <laughs>